Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money morphosiscom to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Hello, everyone. So Arnold, your host and founder of So, as we all know, it uh, it can feel like there is uh, some financial uncertainty and turbulence in our world today. Um, in so many ways, uh, it, it feels like a lot is changing socially. Um, as, as far as what is really valued in our society. And at the same time, we see a lot of women stepping into greater leadership and financial empowerment. More and more women are becoming uh, the breadwinners in their families and really keeping uh, the skills and, and knowledge necessary to handle their finances more confidently and more effectively and and I really see our guest today Manisha um, Decor as a leader in in this movement and she has really provided a lot of great uh, resources including two books and her site um, Money Zen uh, as, as resources for women who are so hungry for this type of not only practical information, but also ways to uh, communicate more effectively about money and how to really just feel better about their relationship with money. Um, and so I am so pleased to have her with us here today. Uh, let, me, let me just tell you a little bit more about her background. Ms. Um, Tapur, she is a nationally recognized financial literacy advocate for women. And her work has really been featured in numerous uh, national publications, ranging from the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. She's also had um, a biography done on PBS, which I highly recommend watching, and appearances on the Today Show and Rachel Ray. And uh, she's very well educated. Manisha um, earned her MBA from Harvard Business School, her BA from Wellesley College, and holds both a CFA and CFC designation. So this woman really knows money inside and out. And her passion around uh, supporting uh, women to have a better financial relationship with themselves and with others is is quite contagious. Her enthusiasm is, uh, is, uh, will be quite apparent to you. So I hope you are inspired by our show today. And um, I'd love to begin just by asking you a little bit about what you find most exciting about your work. So uh, to me, I feel like personal finance is the last feminist frontier. In other words, once 
women collectively really feel like we own our finances, I feel like we'll own our lives. And the differences that I've noticed that women make when they feel they are in financial control are changes that benefit not only their own lives, but their families' lives, their communities' lives. And um, there's a there's a true trickle-down effect that I see when women become financially strong. And so that is the thing that I think I'm most excited about right now. Um, and I, I've never seen as much interest on the part of women as becoming um, financially self-educated as I am right now. Mm, fascinating. Um, I'd love to hear more just about, uh, you know, money then and what brought you to found that, uh, what, what resources you offer there and, and why you've gotten such a big following and why so many women are interested. So Money Zen, as so many really wonderful things in life, came about um, serendipitously and almost by accident. Um, I've been working in finance for 25 years. Um, I spent the first 15 of those years working for large institutions that manage money for corporations, foundations, endowments. And my best girlfriend from business school and I, she also worked in the industry, started to get a lot of questions from our female friends about how to manage their money, our really smart female friends, um, some of whom had gone to Harvard Business School with us and worked in strategy or operations or marketing. And, and, um, and they had the same basic financial questions. So she and I wrote two personal finance books together. And that sort of opened this floodgates that I hadn't expected. Um, we got an awful lot of press around it. And the more press we got, the more women started reaching out and saying, can you please give me more? Can you please give me more? And so Money Zen is a financial consultancy that I, I run um, on the side. I have a full-time day job um, working with high net worth individual women. Um, but through Money Zen, what I'm committed to doing is teaching and writing and speaking um, about the basics of personal finance for a wide range of women. Um, and probably the biggest way that I help women um, would be two, twofold. One is I do a monthly newsletter that people can sign up for at MoneyZen.com. And what I try and do in this newsletter is curate from for each month, the best of articles that I've seen on two subjects, personal finance and women's economic empowerment. And so it can be sort of a one-stop shopping to help you on a, uh, on a path towards lifelong learning in personal finance. And then the other thing is I, I have a resource page where I really try and keep updated um, the best books, I think, um, are out there on the market on a variety of personal finance subjects and where to go for personal finance advice because um, this is really tricky um, you know, the, the firm I work for um, we happily will manage money for individuals with one million or more in investable assets but then the question becomes how do you get a million dollars in investable assets if the minimum for wealth management firms is a million dollars and so helping people who are um, have anywhere from 5000 to 999000 trying to figure out where can you go to get competent financial advice. And so I have a number of different resources and suggestions um, on the site. And so I think those are the two primary ways. 
And then the last thing I'll just say is I continue to try and do as many mainstream media um, interactions as I can, whether it's for Real Simple or Women's Health or The Cut um, or Refinery29, because what I found is sort of the secret sauce behind Money Zen is taking the complex and making it really simple and making it really actionable. Hmm. That is so brilliant, just really making it accessible for people. And there, I've found working with uh, women and money that there is so much, um, you know, shame that people feel like they don't know more about money. And uh, as we both know, it's just not taught in our primary education at all, that personal finance piece. And so I just love how it sounds like you're really giving great quality resources that are super accessible for women. Well, and I think this issue of shame is huge. I see it everywhere. And um, I, I, I feel like a big part of my financial literacy mission is to help debunk that feeling of shame or guilt. Um, and I see it with women way more than I see it with men. And what's interesting is I see men talking about money with each other at much earlier stages in their life cycle. Like even in college, men are talking to each other about money. Because oftentimes they have no idea what the heck they're saying. And a lot of times what they're saying is completely wrong. But they at least they're getting their, their money muscles moving. And so I think part of the reason we women feel shame, is it's a topic that we don't discuss a lot with each other. And, um, and so there's like, it, it, it's kind of like this last taboo. And so you, you, you feel like you don't understand it and you feel like you're really alone in not understanding it. And you don't feel comfortable talking to your girlfriends and saying, I don't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. And we're seeing this uh, come out too with the whole Me Too campaign that this shame of, of sexual assault and harassment is, is finally coming to the surface. And, and realizing it's so ubiquitous and so many people have been suffering. And I feel like the same is happening with money as people like us are, are willing to speak about it and get the support that we'd like to, to feel more prosperous and more confident with our finances, right? Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about this, like, as we all are, as feminist, liberal-oriented women, the, Har the Harvey, post-Harvey Weinstein, post-Matt Lauer world. And when I think about the analogies between that and personal finance, it's, it's interesting. I've actually come to one conclusion that I think is slightly non-traditional that I'd like to share with listeners, and that is that oftentimes in personal finance, um, people are taking steps and they're making mistakes because they genuinely don't know what the right steps are. And, you know, with education and um, encouragement, we can help lots of people make choices that will bring more joy and more financial freedom to their lives. But sometimes I meet people who, in the back of their head, know that the math doesn't add up, but they still want what they want. And they are um, spending beyond their means. They know they're spending beyond their means. They're doing it because they're trying to keep up with the Joneses. Um, and they're not willing, you know, even they're not willing to make the trade-off and cut and and pair back. And so there's there's two levels going on here. One is what I would argue is a lack of information, and then the other level is 
a lack of a desire to change their behavior. And my bizarre analogy to what's going on with all of the, the sexual um, assault accusations is that in the vast majority of these cases, um, horrific things have been done to women by men in power, um, and it needs to change. But one thing I'm scared about is I'm starting to see the very earliest signs of women who have had consensual interactions with um, senior men in their firms who now are, for whatever reason, um, wanting to punish them or bring them down or but it's, I feel there's a little bit of a, a lack of um, what I'm concerned about with all of that that's going on is that we're going to get to a point where men are going to start being afraid to being alone in a room with women. Um, I remember, and this comes back to money, if you'll bear with me. I know I'm going in a circular, uh, seems like it's, I'm going circular on you, but I remember when I first heard that Mike Pence said that he didn't ever want to be in a room in a meeting um, unless his wife was with him. And I thought, like, what planet is this man on? But what I'm starting to see is men feeling that they don't want to be in rooms with women because god forbid they start to be accused as some of them are starting to see their peers uh, of consensual behavior being brought up so there's a fine line i want to emphasize like 99 percent of what's going on out there is i'm thrilled is being reported and in finance a huge portion of the problems i see people having are because they just need information but some of the problems are are self-induced um, and I think the analogy that I'm trying to make is that we all have to be really reflective and and ask ourselves to what extent are we ourselves playing a role in the, the, the problems that we are having and I know that's a really incendiary set of analogies that I've just put out there um, but I feel like for us to make sure this moment in time turns into something that really propels women forward we need to make sure that we're being intellectually honest with ourselves on all fronts financially sexually every way wow that is super insightful and although it may not be a popular you know thing to say i'm really glad you brought it up because it is um so good for that self-reflection, that that um, sense of how how money and power are and sexual energy are constantly in in uh, in play in all of our relationships, and and just acknowledging that and the different dynamics, and and it really brings for me. I'd like to take it to the direction of what is feminine leadership then you know you have been uh, a leader in such a male dominated field here and i'm sure you've seen a bit change over the past few decades and uh it, it may seem like a funny question but i am curious what you feel like makes you an effective leader as a woman you know crystal sadly um i've, I've now been in the industry 25 years and i would love to say i've seen a shift but I really haven't seen a shift. Um, I think what what makes me effective as a leader and what makes so many women leaders effective is um, our, a, a level of raw humanity and authenticity combined with a, a, with a solid 
bottom line business sense. But I think it's putting people and values and community um, at the center of all decisions um, and talking about things with a level of, I'm going to come back to these two words, humanity and authenticity. Um, that really, in my mind, I think is what sets apart so many of the groundbreaking female leaders. And it's not to diss on men. I feel like men, um, if they were to show their humanity or be truly authentic, oftentimes they're mocked for being weak or um, you know, not manly enough. And so I have come to the conclusion that I think the way things are going to change is we have to have more women in, in, in leadership because I see this all the time. When, when there's a boardroom and there are only a couple of us women in there, we, it's a completely different dynamic than when there's at least 50% women in, in the room. And I think it's going to be a while before we start seeing large corporations hit those kind of percentages. And so my deepest hope is that the, the front runners in all of this change are going to be women-owned businesses. Uh, many of them will be smaller and mid-sized just to get in, in the beginning because women still have a ridiculously harder time than men in, in getting adventure um, and angel and investment funding. But where I'm seeing some of the most innovative change is with women-owned firms and their employees who are women and men are really flourishing and benefiting from this female leadership. Yay, I hold that vision with you and really feel like that is the way women think of the whole whole picture and can really hold a lot of uh, a variety of um, relationships and, and really put that at the forefront uh, as are some of the qualities that are most needed for, uh, for ongoing um, success and uh, a healthy society, really. I, I like to say that, you know, <clears throat> the economy is, I, I studied international economics with my degree, and so I feel like essentially the economy is really a place where we come together to care for one another and, uh, and to bring it back to that place where people really are engaged in a marketplace that they feel like is, uh, is nurturing and is, has some more feminine values instead of being driven for endless growth and kind of these more, um, you know, um, <clears throat> goal-oriented uh, economies. So I, I feel like we are in a big transition and in what we value and how we relate to people. And, um, yeah, it, you know, what, is there anything you'd like to say about that? You know, I just, I think that, um, I, I, I just feel so strongly that we as a nation and possibly as a planet are at a massive tipping point in so many different ways, whether it's technology or it's gender equality or it's political extremism. There are just so many different forces that are all coming to, um, that are bubbling up right now. And I feel like at the same time, we are at a period where never in history have women had as much economic power collectively as we do today. 
and it's really my hope that as more and more women get financially empowered, that collectively we can help really address a lot of these issues. And, you know, one of the models that I, I think about is micro lending. And you know, studies have been pretty conclusive in showing that when, you know, the practice of making small loans to women in developing countries and small loans to men in, in developing countries so that they can start a business. And the studies show over and over again, when, when you lend money to women on a micro lending basis, and women generate profits, they reinvest those profits in their businesses, their families and their communities. And to a much greater extent, when men generate profits, they invest those profits in tobacco, alcohol, and other women <laughs> and so um, who are not their wives. And so I just think there's a, a really great opportunity on the horizon for all of us on this planet to realign our values, our mindset, and our money. Hmm. Yeah, mindset and money. And let's talk about how what you are seeing as far as the power of aligning our money with purpose and, and you know, some of the ways that listeners or um, people who you work with um, have found ways to increase their impact by really reflecting on what they value and, and really aligning their money with that. I'm seeing two trends. Um, one is on how people are spending money. I am noticing a much bigger focus on experiences over things and um, and people really starting to ask themselves with their spending, how much joy am I actually getting out of this item um, or this club membership or this trip or that dinner with that expensive dinner with drinks out like, I, I, it, I feel like people are starting to use um, joy, like pure, unadulterated, human, heartfelt, soulful joy as the metric for what drives spending decisions as opposed to the last couple of decades when it may have been external metrics, like how does this make me look compared, you know, how, how does this help me position myself versus other people? Um, and so the spending pattern is one big shift that I'm, I'm really starting to notice. And then the other shift that I've noticed is on the investing side. I'm noticing, particularly from women, an increase in what, what is typically referred to as either mission-related investing or sustainable, responsible impact investing um, and making sure that investment dollars are, are rewarding the kinds of corporate behaviors and focuses that women believe in, whether it's clean energy or gender diversity. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that is so good to hear. I really, um, yeah, that's, that's so incredible. I feel like that's really good news. Um, I'm, you know, listening to some of your, um, well, your biography on PBS, I was really struck by some of the um, statistics and reasons that you brought forth about why financial literacy is so important, uh, especially for women. And if you could share a little bit more about that. Yeah, Crystal, I'm so glad you, you asked that because um, this really gets a lot of people ask me, like, you know, money is money why why are you focusing so heavily on on money and and women and wealth and the reason is um 
threefold. First, we women still earn less on the male dollar, and it doesn't matter how you slice and dice it. Um, and it's really extreme if you look at um, Latina women and African American women. Um, the, the numbers are brutal, um, uh, and it happens at all parts of the income spectrum. Um, so we're earning less on the male dollar, and on top of that, we're we are spending on average about 11 more years than men out of the paid workforce as we care for our children and, and aging parents. So we earn less money and we earn it for fewer years, yet we live longer. And so we actually need more money to support us through our life cycle. And so it's these, these triple headwinds that women are heading into from day one of their working experiences that give us so much less wiggle room than what men have um, to get our finances right. And so that's why I'm, I'm particularly on a mission to help um, two groups of women, younger women in their 20s and 30s, because that's when I can make the biggest difference in their lives. If I can help women right out of the gate establish what it means to live within your means and why it's important to save and invest early and often and how to responsibly get yourself out of debt as quickly as possible if you've got credit card or student loan debt. I can change her life. Um, the other group of women that I'm, I'm very focused on um, are breadwinning women. Um, and what, I, what I'm finding, increasingly women are, are primary and co-breadwinners in their households. And when breadwinning women become empowered around their money, they empower the women they work with, the, their mentees, the women who are helping them keep their family lives in order. I mean, it just the, the pay it forward aspect of empowering um, breadwinning women I've noticed has been um, really heartwarming. Mm. Yes, that is, uh, that, that really makes, makes sense. And I, a lot of listeners, our listeners are, um, <clears throat> you know, women under 50 who are entrepreneurs and, and really purpose driven. And, and we have that financial piece for, um, many of the younger generation is so discouraging because, and, um, you know, as I say this, think I, I'd love to hear your advice for this demographic because so many do have the student loans have less and less uh, or different job opportunities. Not so much of the nine to five. You know, there's there's a lot of shift in in the economy. Talk about how a lot of it's becoming automated, and and so for the younger uh, generation coming in, what advice do you have for them? So the first thing is, I I um, I feel. Um, anger at the whole sort of college cost system, if you will, because um, I'm 47 and I feel like I honestly was the last generation that was able to go to college and come out with, you know, a reasonable amount of debt that you could pay off um, within your first 10 years of working. Now it's like you come out of college and you've got like a, a, a home mortgage. I mean, it's the amount of debt is staggering um, and it's forcing um, young folks to delay starting families and um, and adding unbelievable levels of stress. So I feel like first and foremost, we need as a nation to have some kind of significant structural change in what's going on in the cost of higher education 
first and foremost. But, you know, that's going to take time. So how can we help people who are struggling with student loan debt right now? I think the first thing is to make sure people understand that they're not alone, um, that um, it's epidemic right now. And the only way mathematically to make it work is you're going to have to live a little differently than you may see your peers who do not have a student loan burden live. Um, our income pie adds up to 100, you know, and if a significant slice, 10 to 15% of your income is going towards student loan repayment, that just leaves less money for needs and wants. And so it, it, it means that, um, you may have roommates longer than you want to. You may be taking public transportation longer than you want to. You may be driving a used car longer than you want to. But there needs to be some, um, it's like I struggle with my weight. I've struggled with my weight my entire life. I've, I'm everywhere from a size 6 to a size 12, depending on what's going on in my life. And I finally had to just get real with myself. Like, I obviously have weight and eating issues because that's why I, my size swings all over the place. And once I was able to get real with that, I've been so much better in the last five years um, of my life of, of understanding that there are trade-offs. If I want to eat pints of ice cream at a time, I'm going to get larger. And so I think what I'm trying to say in a loving way is, when you have student loan debt, it's like you have to have like a come to Jesus with yourself. You are not in the same position as people who don't have student loan debt. And the only way it's going to work is for you to be spending less in other areas and or earning more. And for the reasons you cited, Crystal, earning more is not the easiest solution right now. Now, the good news is that the impact of adding even slight amounts to your monthly student loan payments, like $50 a month on top of what you're normally paying or a hundred or a hundred and fifty dollars a month on top of what you're normally paying can dramatically accelerate the rate at which you pay down your debt and the two books that I recommend that people read if they're struggling with student loan debt or credit card debt are Dave Ramsey's book the total money makeover and Gene Chatsky's book pay it down um, and they both give wonderful, tough love advice on how specifically to act on my, my point that um, everyone's income pie adds up to 100. And if, if student loans are chewing up a bigger slice of your pie than someone else's, something's got to give somewhere. So how do you figure that out and still have joy in your life? Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's so important. It's, I feel like it's really a realistic kind of self-love, you know, that, that people mm -hmm. are acceptance and, and having that discipline to, to cut back to spending, to also find joy in other ways that maybe aren't as expensive, and and also redefining success. I feel like this generation is also needing to redefine what that means, because the, the owning several houses and several cars may not be ecologically or financially uh, responsible for yes. this generation coming up. So I feel like that yes. is also part of it. Very yeah. much so. Yeah, we defining that stuff. Um, let's, let's take a quick break here just for a minute. And when we get back, um, I'd love to talk more about having money conversations with people and uh, share your 
on how to do that more effectively. We'll be back in a moment here. Do you get choked up and flushed talking about money? Don't let fear and shame stop you from sharing your value. Speak up, sister. Find out how to boost your financial communication skills at www.findyourmoneyvoice.com. Perhaps you're like Gwen, a budding creative entrepreneur who wants to provide for her family, but she has a tough time expressing her needs. She chronically undercharges and lays awake at night with money stress. With Crystal's Find Your Money Voice training, she found renewed confidence speaking her self-worth. Transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. With greater clarity and focus, Gwen more confidently negotiated solid agreements and increased her business earnings with the trainings found at findyourmoneyvoice.com. Welcome back. We are here with Minister Takor and uh, so loving her take on some of the modern trends with women and money in particular. And, and I love your authenticity and uh, just really getting real with the numbers and, and the way that people can make responsible, informed decisions. And I feel like one of the biggest challenges for people um, as you heard, I have this training I did um, earlier this year about finding your money voice. And I feel like so many people aren't having these money conversations um, either with their families around inheritances, around uh, different, uh, you know, asking for a raise at work or getting into a new relationship and how do you come together financially. And I, uh, I was excited to come across your book with this brilliant title, Get Financially Naked, How to Talk Money with Your Honey. Uh, just really think that is a much-needed uh, topic that people can really use to support um, with. So I'd love to hear your tips for people um, of how they could have better money conversations. Well, I think the first thing I want people to know is when it comes to the awkward money conversations, the conversation with your spouse, the conversation with your employer trying to negotiate, uh, the conversation with friends when you're going out to dinner and you're splitting the bill and one person drank a ton and the other didn't drink at all, is that never has a person come back to me and said like, yeah, I just had an awkward money conversation and it was awesome. It was fun and easy. So I think I, I like to just put that out there because um, I, I think that um, it, relieving yourself from the pressure of feeling like there's some perfect way and painless way to do this can be really, really helpful. It, it reminds me of like the first time you kiss someone and you're like trying to figure out like, what do you do with your nose when you kiss? Like, which side does it go to? And like, you just have to do it and figure it out and bumble your way through your first kiss. And it's, I think that's how it is with so many of the money conversations. And so I think what's most important is having the right desire to have the conversation. And so I think by first acknowledging money is one of the top causes of fights in relationships and the top causes of divorce. So a reason to invest in figuring out how to have the tough, awkward conversation with your, your significant other is to invest in the longevity of your relationship. 
Um, women studies out of Carnegie Mellon show women are four times less likely to negotiate their starting salaries than men. And that just starts this snowball all the way down the effect, which helps contribute to our lower um, earnings on the male dollar. And so, um, you know, just saying to yourself, like, wow, I know, you know, I know from listening to Crystal's podcast that I have these three headwinds against me as a woman to start with. And so even though it's awkward to negotiate, I need to do it. Um, and the same thing with friends that, you know, you can say to yourself, you know, if you've got friends that want to do a certain level of vacationing or entertaining or celebrating, and that's a stretch on your budget that, you know, human connection is so very important and you're investing in your friendship to try and, you know, excise and eliminate any, um, external tension that would come to it from, from money. And so I find that when you have the right intention, behind why you want to have those awkward money conversations, that's when you tend to come to them from the best frame of mind. And then in terms of how exactly to have them, there is a wonderful new book that has come out by um, a financial psychologist um, named Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. And the book is called Breaking Money Silence. And she literally runs through and, you know, chapter by chapter, all of the really awkward conversations and provides some wonderful suggestions on how to make it through. So um, when it comes to those, I, I guess I just want to repeat again, it's not easy for anyone. Relieve yourself of the pressure of thinking you have to do it perfectly. Instead, focus on getting really rooted in your intention as to why you're doing it and how it's going to make your, your heart and your soul feel better and read, read breaking money silence. Um, and the other book that I recommend is, um, by another, um, psychologist, Dr. Kate Levinson, and she's written a wonderful book called emotional currency. And she also runs workshops across the country, um, called them emotional currency workshops that really help women, um, get in touch with their own internal money stories that can often affect or reflect on the awkward money conversations and how to get mm. clear on that. Yeah, she uh, she came on as a guest a few months ago to the show, and I was super impressed by it is. It's a frontier, and it's, uh, to be willing to be uncomfortable is like where the growth can happen and that connection and the and just kind of get vulnerable and, and uh, you know, start out with, oh, this may feel a little, I'm feeling a little nervous about this conversation. It really can just open up a lot for those people. And, and all of us have these money histories and these things that were imprinted so young that continue to affect us and to really, um, you know, desire I have just found such great compassion can open up and empathy for understanding another person's situation. When I do workshops and have women share about their money story, there's just like such relief that they're not alone and that other people, you know, struggle in their own ways. And, uh, and you probably found that too as, as people open up with, with money, right? Oh, very, very much so. Um, I, um, in, in my full-time day job, 
um, we oftentimes will work with clients in doing something we call conversation circles, where we'll bring together 10, 12 women, and we will have a curated 90-minute conversation around broad topics, like what is enough um, or um, what responsibility comes with financial security to the broader community? Um, or, you know, we'll talk about marriage and money. Um, and what I find is uniformly after these conversation circles occur, women feel, um, the, the women feel bonded together um, at a really intimate level given it's a 90-minute conversation. Um, and then they also have that, I call it like the post-hot yoga feeling, like you just feel cleansed and um, like you've gotten out some toxins. Um, and I just, the power, I've seen it all across the country, the power of women, women coming together and talking amongst themselves, whether it's formally like in the conversation circles we, we do or it's informally and, you know, one woman sharing an experience with another in a mentor situationship or a friendship situation. Hmm. Well, I encourage listeners to see if there's a person or two popping up in your mind and heart right now that you are ready and willing to have a vulnerable um, money conversation with. And to go ahead and write those down and couple of dates sometime um, here in the next month. And as you've heard, there's this incredible potential for greater intimacy with this person, greater closeness. Um, and, and just a relief from really um, connecting in this way. Um, you know, it also makes me think of financial legacy, and I've heard how much of money is not passed down effectively because people and families aren't having the conversations about the living trust and, and what will happen to their money. And is there anything you'd like to share around how may, maybe people... Yeah, could more effectively create a financial legacy. Yeah, I think this is a huge issue. Um, I feel like um, in an ideal world, a person has three financial professionals to assist them um, if they don't want to do these tasks on their own. One is a financial um, advisor who can help with um, broad personal financial planning and investments. Um, and of course, you can, you can learn to do it on your own or you can hire a professional. Two is a CPA, um, or you could do your taxes on your own. And then three, and this is the piece you're speaking to, Crystal, is um, a good estate lawyer. And I think a lot of people, like, you don't want to think about your dad. It's not fun. Dealing with lawyers isn't fun. They bill by the hour. It makes you feel like you need to talk really fast when you talk to them. It's just, um, it can be an unpleasant situation, but reaching out to a, a local estate lawyer and setting up an appropriate will and talking to them honestly about money up front, like, this is what I can pay for this service. Can we make this work? Um, and, and asking them to tell me, you know, up front, I know you charge billable by the hour, um, and some increasingly are charging by the, the documentation so that you have a little more clarity going into it. But it's so helpful because, I mean, all kinds of things can happen. You pass, a parent passes on, um, gives money to a child. It's not given in um, a, a formalized trust format. 
the child then gets divorced and then their spouse may end up with half of it. And so the parent's money is now with an, the child's ex-spouse. And like you see all kinds of wacky things happening when people don't think it through. Um, and the, the good news is, is, is estate planning and legacy planning can be ridiculously complex. But unless you have the pleasant problem of being ridiculously wealthy, for most of us, it's a fairly straightforward process and a competent estate planning attorney can help you think through the common scenarios given your family dynamics and create the, the um, structure to help you make sure that your money is going to the causes and the people that um, make your heart sing. Yeah, right. And staying connected to that motivation and that outcome and then we're willing to do these expensive slash uncomfortable <laughs> conversations with people. Hmm. Well, we've covered uh, money, death, and sex. <laughs> Get all the taboos. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, you've worked with so many people around this. Um, I, I was trying to ask you about what are, um, say, the three biggest financial mistakes that you see people make. So the first and foremost one is living beyond their means. And I see this constantly at every income level. I see people making $60,000 a year, spending seventy, And I am not kidding you. I, I meet people making $600,000 a year and spending $700,000. And, um, and it's not always spending more than you're earning. Oftentimes it's spending exactly what you're earning. And so there's no room left for savings. Um, I just think that as a nation, we have supersized everything, including our expectations of, you know, how much home we should have, what kind of car we should have, what kind of clothes we should have. And so what I think has happened is the scale creep has gone on. If you think back 50 years ago, people didn't have home theaters in their homes. They didn't have swimming pools. They didn't have, I mean, they didn't, oftentimes people didn't even have washers and dryers in their own homes. Like we have taken all kinds of functions that used to be outside the home and stuck them inside the home. And homes have gotten so much bigger. You know, the average size of a family home for like four or five people was 1,800 square feet. And, um, you know, today it's multiples of that. And so I think we've supersized our lives without understanding the impact that that has. And the, the single best solution to this is, I'm happy to say, a formula that comes from a woman. Um, Senator Elizabeth Warren wrote a book years ago with her daughter back when she was a bankrupt, when Senator Warren was a bankruptcy professor at Harvard Law School. The book was called All Your Worth. And in it, she lays out a formula, the 50-30-20 balance spending formula. She says, in an ideal world, 50% of your money goes to needs, 30% goes to wants, and 20% goes to savings. And, and that's near-term savings, emergency fund, and, and longer-term savings like college retirement funds. And I find that it is a lack of knowledge of that framework, what healthy spending looks like, and, and lack of knowledge around the 50-30-20 rule is, is mistake number one. Um, mistake number two is not really realizing how costly debt can be, particularly double-digit debt. Any debt in the double digits is 
like termites eating away at the financial foundation of your house. And, um, and people often feeling so overwhelmed when they find themselves in double digit, uh, debt and not realizing that by earning slightly more and, and adding, you know, even if you have to like be an Uber or Lyft driver for a couple hours on the weekends, take earning a little bit more so that you can add an extra 50, 100 or $150 a month above and beyond your minimum monthly payment. What a huge difference that can make in the speed at which um, your debt gets paid off. And as a resource, there's um, a website you can Google. It's called Dinky Town, which is kind of a funny name. D-I-N-K-Y-T-O-W-M, but they have all these wonderful financial calculators there, and you can put in your credit card debt and, and see what happens if you add those amounts and how much quicker the payoff happens. And then I think the third one is um, avoiding investing because it just feels too overwhelming and leaving your hard-earned savings in cash and having it over time be eroded by inflation. and um, there, I think the answer is to self-educate around personal, around personal investing by reading one of two books. Um, the first book is less than a hundred pages and it's called Investing, um, Made Simple, written by a guy named Michael Piper. He self-published the book. It's on Amazon. It's less than 12 bucks. It's the best hundred pages I've seen written on investing. Um, or there's another wonderful book that's just come out by um, Alice Finn, who is a Harvard-educated lawyer and financial advisor, and her book is called Smart Women Love Money. And she walks through the basics of investing, and it's the exact same style of investing that I use for my clients. Um, it's accessible to anyone. And so those two books, I think, are the best solutions to that third problem. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, that seems really accurate. And um, I love how these personal finance techniques and approaches that you're teaching really seem to apply no matter what's happening in the external economy. And, you know, there is so much transition and it feels like, what does the future look like? How could I possibly plan for the future as, as a young person? And yet some of these foundational skills are just like, how you feed yourself well, you know, that it takes yeah. regular attention to have a healthy financial life. And so it seems that no matter what, you know, we're seeing this increasing income inequality in America. And, and it just really feels like what you're speaking to is ways that people can build greater resilience and respond to whatever happens um, in the bigger economy, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, I think this issue of income inequality is huge. Um, and again, it's one of those structural things like the ridiculous cost of higher education and what's happening with the cost of healthcare in our country. We need a systemic solution. Um, a country, we're still a young country. Um, and, you know, we're an experiment, um, America as a democracy. And if we don't address income inequality, um, that experiment not, may not turn out so well. And um, so, I mean, I feel like there's a real imperative to 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 um, deal with it. And I think that um, that um, the more we can keep, um, like Thomas um, 
uh, Pinkety and his his book on capital. I mean, the more we can highlight this issue and talk about it, um, my hope is that um, some bigger changes will happen because, and I feel like I'm starting to see it. Um, it used to be, for instance, that income inequality, people would roll their eyes and say, um, high net worth people would frequently roll their eyes and say, well, you know, I got here. So anybody who works hard could get here too. And I'm now starting to see much more empathy and awareness of how freaking hard so many Americans are working and the, their pay is not reflecting that. And that's a sea change in empathy and awareness that is, is giving me hope. Um, and the other one that I'm really starting to see, and it, you know, a lot of it has to do with global warming and um, the realization that if we don't all collectively as a planet get our act together, we all collectively as a planet are going to get screwed. And so I think that um, in the same way, people are starting to realize every decision you make, whether it's to pay a CEO 200 times what the average worker makes, or it's to buy a fancy gas guzzling car, or to um, spend your money heavily in the area of consumer goods versus using some of those funds to donate, they have implications far beyond you in your own orbit. And, you know, relative to the 80s, 90s, and the aughts, I feel like there's much greater awareness, particularly, um, you know, in my day job, I spend a lot of time in the, the, the high net worth space, and um, I'm heartened to see a shift in that space um, of really understanding that we have to come together to solve this. Hmm. Yay. Wow. That is great to hear. Because I, I feel like a lot of people do get discouraged and feel like, what is the point um, of, of any of this when there are such large systemic uh, challenges? And Yeah. Um, I, I just love how you spoke to it. It is getting harder and harder. And no matter if people are, you know, saying the spiritual affirmations or, you know, it, it is important to shift your mindset from this pervasive scarcity, you know, that's, that's pushing us to think more is better and it's never enough. And, and these kind of things are real useful approaches. And yet we also need to acknowledge the systemic um, challenges and so many people internalize this and maybe you've seen it too like the suffering was like oh there's a problem with me because I'm not making it up to these great huge standards that you know yeah. America is prom promoting and success right right and it goes you know I mean I, I can't help but highlight the very common comparison, which is what goes on in Scandinavian countries, where the difference in income equality is dramatically lower than what we have in the U.S., and happiness is dramatically higher, you know, and so there's sort of a narrow range in terms like your income isn't that far off from the top person's income, and um, taxes are very high, and therefore a lot of things like education and healthcare are taken care of. But because there isn't so much discretionary income floating around it's such wide differentials, there's a greater focus on community and as a result it tends to be greater levels of happiness and it's year after year the Scandinavian countries are some of the happiest on the planet. Hmm. 
so true. And it really goes back to, you know, having a bigger definition, redefining success as individuals, as a nation, as a planet, and really looking at, you know, things that aren't traditionally measured by money and how those are valuable as well. And uh, really acknowledging that it's in our power as humans to be storytellers and use our imaginations together to create um, a, a different world where our generations after us can, can thrive. Yeah. yeah. What? Um, so we just have a few minutes left here. I'd love to hear um, any additional resources. You've already given us some books, but if you want to tell us any of your other um, favorite books, including some about yours, I'd love to hear more about that. Sure. So um, I'll start with the two books that I co-wrote with, with Sharon Kadar. Um, On My Own Two Feet, A Modern Girl's Guide to Personal Finance is a primer that we wrote specifically for women in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s. And it's designed to give you 90% of what you need to know about your personal finances in something you can read, like a beach read, like four, three, four hours. Um, and now as Sharon and I are both in our late 40s, we're realizing we now need to write a book for late 40s, 50s, and 60s. So hopefully that'll be upcoming soon. But um, this is a great primer if you are, are mid-40s and under. And then our second book, Get Financially Naked, is really um, how to talk money with your honey. is really appropriate for anyone who is in a relationship um, and it's even a, it's a great read if you're not in a relationship because then you can start thinking about how to avoid one of the biggest relationship pitfalls when you do meet that someone special. Um, and again, I'll just mention, I, I think the other big resource that I try and put out there is, is my newsletter, which people can sign up for on, on moneyzen.com. And it comes out at the beginning of each month. And I really, really try hard to curate the best articles I've seen on personal finance and, and women's economic empowerment. And then I think I would just say that um, there are um, a number of, of of different styles of learning about personal finance. Um, but I think that the books that I've mentioned throughout this, this podcast are certainly, um, in my opinion, some of the best that you can read um, to not put yourself to sleep and, and really empower yourself. And I'd also mention, you know, Crystal, you had talked about the PBS program. Um, there's a link to it on my website. It's an, uh, a special that PBS did talking about my work. And I think there's some really compelling statistics. And um, I, what people have told me is after watching it, it has really helped put them in the right frame of mind to want to receive this financial information and act on it. Right. I totally felt the same way. Yes. Because, uh, you know, reading a book is, is different than having the motivation to, to actually act. And I feel like you really do inspire people um, towards um, action. And it's been so delightful to imagine a better economy, a more fluent, um, honoring uh, world where we really are empowered, both men and women, um, to with greater financial health and well-being. And, uh, and yeah, do you have any, any final thoughts here you'd like to share? I'd love to just end on the note that 
if you are feeling any degree of financial discomfort or stress, I just want you to know that you are not alone. I, I like to say if we all got financially naked and looked at each other, we would shriek. Um, and, and so often people's um, external image or projection and their internal financial reality are wildly different. So just know that, you know, you gain any skill an inch at a time. And it's the same thing with the personal finance stuff. Don't put pressure on yourself that it's like some light switch that suddenly you'll, you'll know it all. I've been in the industry 25 years. I learn something new every day. Every day somebody asks me a question. I don't know the answer to and I have to go research it and look it up. So it's an ongoing process, learning this information. There are no dumb questions. And um, the more you talk about it with other women, the more we can empower each other. And, and my last thing I'll say is just a request, um, a plea, which is if this podcast has brought anything to mind, such as a, a, a really great money move you made, a lesson learned, a, a mistake you don't want to repeat, please share it with another woman in your life. I, I really do believe woman to woman is how we're going to empower each other to really take ownership of this material. Hmm. Thank you for that. I <clears throat> I love uh, what you are calling forth with curiosity and courage from women to really share about money and curiosity about their own relationship to it and what is possible. Let's leave with that question. What is possible? What would bring me more joy? What would create a better world for um, generations to come? And uh, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom here today and encourage people to um, go over to moneyzen.com and sign up for that newsletter and, uh, and get inspired um, with, uh, with this amazing uh, woman here. Thank you so much for uh, sharing this inspiration with us today. for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.